Looking to lead smarter? Let me send you a free copy of my ebook, The Portable Guide to Leading Organizations. Text Lead Smarter to 33444. That's Lead Smarter, all one word, to 33444. This is Don Sol. And Kathy Eisenhardt, and you're listening to Leader Lab. So who are you and what do you do? I'm Kathy Eisenhardt. I'm on the Stanford faculty. I'm also the co-director of the Stanford Technology Ventures Program. And I'm Don Sol, and I teach strategy and strategic execution at uh, the MIT Sloan School. See, so I think this is awesome. This is the first time this has ever happened. We're recording this from the East Coast, Middle America, and the West Coast. So this is, we've got like the entirety of America covered in one episode. So that's, uh, to me, that's really, really cool. And the thing that neither of you said is you're the authors of the new book, Simple Rules, How to Thrive in a Complex World, which uh, in addition to having a beautifully simple cover, has a beautifully simple thesis about the importance of rules, but also in keeping rules I've overused this word already, and we're only a minute in. Simple. Let me just tell you my when I when I first got this book and I read it, and I'm I'm thinking about it. So I uh, I am I'm trying to raise two. My wife and I are trying to raise two boys, and we're at the point where we're experimenting with rules, right? And then at the same at the same time, my last book was about creativity and innovation, and I know that creativity and innovation thrive inside of constraints and, and rules and things like that, but so often we, we are right now, we're in this stage where we're praising no rules. Even in parenting, we're talking about free-range parenting, which I could argue is a simple rules parenting, not totally free-range. And we're talking about all of this stuff like thinking outside the box and giving people total autonomy and all of those things, and yet rules matter because rules are sort of a system. So why are, let's just start with why are rules so important and then we'll move into how do we make them simple so they actually work. Yeah, you know, I think, I think when people think of rules, they think of bureaucracy. And so they're often saying, well, you know, I really don't want a rule. But in fact, if you don't have any rules, and this has sort of been part of the genesis of the book, you actually don't get much done. There's no constraint, there's no efficiency, and particularly in an organization, business, if there's no rules, then everybody's doing their own thing and getting nowhere. And so what rules let you do is they let you coordinate, they let you give you some constraints where you can still be flexible, they let you make better decisions. So a world of no rules sounds good, like a, it sounds like a world of no desserts, or all desserts rather, um, but in fact it's too chaotic. For me the punchline is rules enable as well as constraint. Uh, and we often focus on the constraint element of rules, uh, but throughout history, not just in you know modern organizations. Uh, if you look at pretty much any religion, they've articulated a set of rules, whether it's the Ten Commandments or the you know the five rules of uh, of lay monks in Buddhism that help enable people to live a good life. So it's um, uh, we're just trying to draw attention to that element of rules. Well, and I think that's that's what I love about it. It's not just about rules, but it's about simple rules, right? And and you actually hit it on it. You know, I was thinking about it in the context of religion often, where if you look at most major world religions, religions it's some level of simplicity, right? You, so you have the Ten Commandments. You know, later in the New Testament, you have the Golden Rule, right? You have the Five Pillars. You have all of these different um, very attempts to make it uh, all sort of simple. I mean, yeah, there's a lot more complexity in there, but the idea is sort of you give these simple rules, and then people can figure out how to sort of align with them. Simple rules really work. And, and Kathy, as you said, I think so often we associate rules with bureaucracy kind of because we have rule creep and the rules get bigger and bigger and bigger. When in reality, if we want to succeed in organizations or in life, we should probably get rules simpler and simpler and simpler. 
I think that's it. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, just echoing what Kathy said earlier, that's, you know, the kind of punchline of the book is uh, rules exist along a spectrum. So you can have at one extent, you know, at one extreme, no rules at all, as Kathy was talking about, you know, these kind of chaotic situations. Another extreme, you can just have, you know, hundreds and hundreds of rules organized into dozens and dozens of chapters, and they lead to rigidity. And the, the, I think the core insight is along that spectrum, simple rules occupy a privileged position. They inject just enough structure that you avoid the chaos, but, uh, you know, don't go overboard and, and you know, proliferate, get into this rules creep, as you were talking about, David, uh, and, and uh, engender rigidity. So it's a, it's, a, it's a really nice point, and we've, uh, you know, through our research found that there are a lot of situations where that just enough, that just that threshold level of structure is perfect. Yeah, I wanted, I wanted to ask about that. And your, your research actually runs a really wide spectrum in all examples where rules are a very uh, simple but powerful thing. Uh, from from organizations, everything from like how do bees build a nest to how do you build a, a critically acclaimed, award winning um, NBC comedy show, right? But then even in simple life, there are there are simple rules that work. I um, let's actually let's start with the organization, but I will be remiss if I don't talk about how Don used simple rules to lose fifteen pounds. But let's let's start with the organizations. What are some of the ways that you see simple rules used most effectively inside of organizations, be they human ones or even bee ones? So, uh, so there are a couple of ways that rules are used in organizations. So, if we take in uh, uh, in natural systems, you know, social uh, birds or bees, uh, rules are frequently used to coordinate activity. So, for you know, literally centuries, scientists couldn't explain how birds flocked. Um, and, you know, for, for about 50 years, the best hypothesis was that they had extrasensory perception, which nobody really believed, but nobody could come up with a better explanation. Uh, and what we've learned subsequently is that actually birds who have limited cognitive capacity uh, followed a small number of rules that allowed them to coordinate their activities on the fly, literally in this case, as they're each adapting to local circumstances. So, uh, and rules are in organizations similarly are used. Uh, in that way, whether it's online communities, uh, uh, you know, kind of organizing with one another, or the sharing economy, which is very uh, big now. Uh, when Robin Chase uh, co-founded uh, Zipcar in 2000, for instance, she and her co-founder realized that there were really only a handful of conflicts that caused a lot of the disagreements among the the users of the car. Uh, cars, and they um, so they just came up with six rules. Very simple, you know, fill her up, pets in containers, no smoking. That uh, people could remember because they could remember, they could follow them because they could follow them. They avoided most of the the social conflict. So that's that's one big area where um, uh, where we see uh, rules being used to coordinate activities of uh, members of an organization or community in a way that you minimize conflict and again enable them to do things that they couldn't do if if uh, if they didn't have these rules. Well, and one of my favorite examples from the book, albeit it's a, it's sort of a short example, but any any anytime anybody writes about if you ha, my long term listeners know anytime anybody writes about Pixar, my ears sort of perk up, right? And I love because I never I never realized that we watch. I have a three year old and a one year old. We watch a lot of Pixar movies right now, and I never realized that they they have tons of Academy Awards, and beyond all of the different ways that they interact with each other, et cetera, they have a pretty simple rule for how they organize their people, don't they? Yeah, they do. They they organize them in in terms of story first and computer graphics follow that. But it's all about the story. Yeah, totally. And and in order to keep from getting over overwhelmed, is sort of like we do one movie a year. That's it, because we know where people are, where they are in the story, where they are in graphics, and that yeah. way we're never having to uh, scale up and scale back down and all that sort of stuff to meet up with demands. I think it's I think it's kind of funny and and brilliant. 
So yes, it is. It's a, it's a it's a it's a super cool rule that one movie a year, and they pretty much always hit it. And it's it's kind of like a movie factory in some ways, but yet it's still open enough that you get um, the amazing range of of characters that, that Pixar does. Yeah, yeah, totally. David, another really great example, I think, of simple rules is is Google. I mean, figure that you're you're Google. You've got lots of competitors. You need computer scientists. You know you can hire them from great schools. You're looking for great grades. But how do you really find a top computer scientist, knowing that that's what? The top computer scientist is probably 10 times more productive than a very good computer scientist. And so that was a big bottleneck for Google, hiring computer scientists. And the simple rules were actually pretty simple, apart from good schools and all that sort of thing. It was... Look for people who are eccentric, because eccentric people usually are pretty creative. Uh, get referrals, because Google people can spot good, good computer scientists. So get, if you're referred by a Google employee, that's, that's to your advantage. And then the third rule was around uh, no fudging on your resume. Google was pretty insistent that everybody had, was ethically, ethically top-notch, and so there was no fudging on resumes. Within those rules, they got all sorts of people, and um, I think the rest is history. Yeah, and Google is sort of, you know, we were talking about the Pixar example. Google is sort of a people factory of finding really great talent and turning it into really, really great products. So, And all from a few sort of simple rules. So let's talk about rules in, because I think, you know, this is this is a, a book geared towards organizations and leaders, but also towards the individual person in, in applying kind of individual rules to your own life. I know Don use simple rules to lose 15 pounds was it now i was it as you were writing the book or before and then you just threw it in there be be honest with us uh no it was as i was writing the book but what what happened it's kind of a funny story because uh i bought i'm a real cheapskate so i bought a bunch of shirts because they were you know you got a volume discount but they were all the same size and i, I just couldn't fit into them it was really and it was really annoying to me so uh anyway i thought well you know as they say in silicon valley I'm going to eat the, my own dog food uh, and use simple rules to tackle this. So the process, and it might just be interesting to your listeners as an illustration of how you know people can use them to solve uh, simple rules to uh, to address uh, personal issues. So the first step is to identify the objective. So at first, you know, it was all sorts of things. I'm you know I'm getting old. I'm out of shape. But at the end of the day, it was really that the shirts didn't fit. So I said, okay, great. My objective here is to um, uh, you know kind of lose the weight so I fit into the shirt. So that was pretty clear. Then the second step, which is a little less obvious, uh, and for most folks, it's that's pretty clear. It doesn't take a ton of reflection, but uh, you know, you might want to get clarity on precisely what what your objective is, what will move the needles for you. Uh, the second step is to choose a bottleneck, and that takes a little more judgment. So, you know, if you think about the different act, uh, by a bottleneck, what we mean is an, a specific activity or decision that helps you to meet your objectives, okay, or objective. Uh, so, in this case, you know, it could have been exercise, it could have been diet, it could have been a lot of things. So, you know, I looked at my schedule. There was really no more time to exercise. Uh, you know, my knees probably wouldn't uh, stand it anyway. So um, so focus more on diet. And and then try to get even more focused. So what I learned, I, I spent a week kind of gathering some data. And data is very important to both identifying the bottleneck and developing the rules. Uh, and kind of tracked what I ate. And I was shocked to learn that, you know, during the day it was okay. But at, after after dinner, all hell broke loose. You know, like I was basically eating a lunch or two after dinner every night. Um, so that helped me to refine the bottleneck to it, not rather rather than you know eating in general to eating after dinner. So that was quite a specific bottleneck. Um, 
And then in terms of developing the rules, one of the one of the points that Kathy and I make in the book is you want to go to multiple sources. So I talk to some friends who, you know, I talk to a, uh, somebody at the gym I work out at. Uh, you know, I read what Michelle Obama had to say about uh, about uh, snacking and so forth, and generate a set of pretty simple rules. You know, they were uh, uh, no snacks um, uh, during the week. Uh, initially, uh, by the way, sometimes you have to revise your rules. Initially, it was no snacks at all, and I just realized I couldn't live that way. So it's just no snacks during the week. Uh, don't stockpile snacks. So if you don't have a lot of them in the house, you can't eat them. Uh, and uh, one that I learned uh, um, uh, from a, uh, some research that was done on portions was you, you eat a lot less if you eat out of a bowl rather than out of the bag. So those were the rules, and uh, they were pretty simple. And you know, and it took just under two months, and I was fitting in the shirts and, and very happy. Yeah, and I think I, I think your personal story underscores one of the uh, one of the more interesting things is that the most elegant sort of simple rules that work really effective are take a lot of research, talking to a lot of different people. There's a lot sort of involved in them. So I think it's one of the reasons like for for those that sort of feel like you need the huge bureaucracy of lots of rules, you, you don't. You just need simple rules that were thought of and thought you know thought about for a long period of time, not just lots and lots of rules. And I think that to me doing the work on the front end, uh, when I'm reading the book, I'm thinking doing all this work on the front end, that's probably what prevents rule creep to begin with is if you have a really simple, important rule, you really can limit it to just a handful. Well, it, it does that for sure. And and the two other things it does, David, is is one, you've committed to making those rules. They're your rules, right? So that process of developing them, you understand where they come, came from. You understand why. So they're their, your rules. You feel more committed to them. The second thing is they're tailored to you, right? So there are a lot of people out there, you know, by the six rules of this, the eight rules of that, Um but, you know, they all assume that, that one size fits all. Uh, and so that's just inaccurate. You know, uh, what you need to do is develop the rules that are right for you. Uh, and that's why, you know, again, just it, it would be easy to just take a book off the shelf and say, oh, those are, you know, Google's rules or those are Tina Fey's rules. I'm going to copy them. Easy, but not very helpful. Hmm. No, I think that's a huge point. I think uh, I think it was Seth Godin had something similar to that effect about so often people ask, like, you know, what kind of typewriter did Ernest Hemingway use? It doesn't matter. What matters is what rules work for, for you. Um, I wonder on that, speaking of rules that work uh, and how to get rules that work, are there, are there situations or environments that are sort of too complex to allow for simple rules to work? And if so, what do we do then? Well, I think there are, there are environments where, where you do the same thing over and over, and there are lots of steps to it. And in those, in those kind of cases, you wouldn't use simple rules. So, for example, you're doing flight uh, check out on an airplane or you're checking off the things in surgery like am I operating on the right leg am I if I got the instruments I need are the right people here all those sorts of things are are, are are more checklist oriented they're stock they're standard they're complicated but but they don't change where simple rules really come in is when the world is not only complicated but it's changing and the interactions in the rule in the world are changing that's where simple rules play the role so not checklist world, but rather a world that's got more change to it. Hmm. No, I think that's really, really, really interesting for sure. Uh, so the book again, Simple Rules, How to Thrive in a Complex World. I wonder if we could transition a bit from the book to you all and ask you a few questions. The first question being, uh, what are you reading right now? I'm, I'm reading All the Light You Cannot See, the Anthony Doerr book. A great book on World War II, interleaves the story of a a blind girl and a young German soldier, and great book. I recommend it to pretty much everybody. 
I, I, I'm a little embarrassed to say I'm off of reading for a little bit. <laughs> I've, been, I've, I've been so uh, uh, I've been so busy with other stuff that I haven't been. Uh, uh, but I'm not reading right now. But what I read most recently uh, was the um, uh, was a biography of Kurt Lewin, uh, who was a social scientist at MIT. Uh, in, um, in the 1940s, and uh, it was just uh, not the greatest biography ever written, but a fantastic story, and Kurt Lewin's favorite, uh, or the, the quote of uh, his that is my motto, is if you want to understand something, try to change it, uh, and I think that's, uh, I, yeah, it was just great to learn more about him. Hmm. No, I think that's really interesting, and I, I that would require a lot of thought afterwards. So I'm totally okay with the idea of being in between books for sure. And Lord knows we're in the middle of celebrating the launch of Simple Rules, How to Thrive in a Complex World. And so there's probably a lot of writing and, oh, I don't know, bothering with podcast hosts and all of that sort of stuff that you're doing. So trust me, I I, uh, I totally understand. Um, the, the book is great again. Um, I want to encourage a lot of different people to check it out. It's got a lot of really cool examples. I mean, we touched on some with Tina, with um, Tina Fey and Thirty Rock and Pixar, but there's a whole other th- other everything from like what were the rules that Monet used for painting to uh, examples from how do the white stripes make amazing music. Right, the book is filled with all of these incredibly cool examples that all stem from simple rules. So I want to encourage everybody to check it out. In the meantime, Don, Kathy, thank you so much for joining us inside the Leader Lab. Yeah, thank you, thank you, David. Thank you for having us.